everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 529, recording today live Wednesday, the 4th of April, uh, 2018. Sorry about the aborted uh, podcast last week, just one of those unforeseen circumstances I couldn't do anything about. But we're back, and we're back, and we're back. And uh, in case you're wondering, you perhaps last week was your first week and you were terribly disappointed not to know what Sonic Talk was about. We are uh, uh, a panel show, that, uh, a podcast that talks about music technology, recording, controllers, synthesizers, software, drum machines, live performance, live production, all of those kind of things, anything that kind of surrounds that whole world. So please do stay tuned. want to say hello to our friends on the YouTube chat room uh, where you can watch us where we go live 4pm every Wednesday, GMT, and uh, where we're summertime. And also we've got the IRC chat room as well. Uh, that's the sonicstate.com forward slash live. You can find all that stuff there. So please do come and join us each week. Uh, it makes the whole show much more fun and we get some decent numbers and it's all quite lively and jolly. Anyway, I also want to say thank you very much to our show sponsors who are providing the competition this week. We're going to be giving away a copy of Isotope Neutron 2, which is a mixed processing uh, suite of uh, plugins. In fact, this show goes through that. The master bus is running through a copy of Neutron before it gets out into the world. So what you're hearing now is being processed real time with uh, Neutron, but uh, perhaps a little bit more on that later. Anyway, let's say hello to our guests. Uh, we'll start with, um, well, let's start with uh, Steve Hillier, who's over there in Brighton. Steve Hillier, of course, educator, producer, DJ, songwriter. I don't know. What, is there nothing you don't do? Um, I, know, I struggle there. Not, well, yeah. actually, I should I should rephrase that. Is there nothing you won't do for money? That sounds wrong now, doesn't it? <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> I, I, live by the, I live by the maxim. I think I heard this from Ricky Gervais that I don't do anything for money that I wouldn't do for free. Ah, now that sounds that's not a bad idea. Yeah, that, I like the sound of that. Anyway, Steve, you've been uh, have you been off songwriting or have you had a bit of a break? You said you were in Spain. No, right? uh, I've just came. I just come back from Spain uh, yesterday. I'd finished a, a couple of uh, projects which will hopefully be released uh, next month, and so just took a, an Easter break down in Marbella, which was really nice. Right, I, I discovered a few things. Um, I discovered that um, the which I kind of already knew, but Spanish electricity. Uh, in houses is not wired the same way as it is in the UK. So you have um, a bit of a problem sometimes if you're trying to run uh, USB uh, items such as uh, Ableton Push 2 off the same uh, socket as your MacBook. This is all very interesting, uh, but essentially um, I've discovered you have to do some jiggery-pokery for that. Also, the other thing I discovered was that um, it's actually easier to get the Estonian military to turn their music down than it is to get English tourists to stop shouting and dancing in a restaurant. So, wow, that sounds like you had a hell of a time to me. I, I, I think we... <laughs> Yeah, I'll look forward to that chapter in your forthcoming book memoirs, uh, and uh, yeah, perhaps sometime yeah, yeah. in the future. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you very much for joining us. And also we have uh, Mr. Yo. Oh, no. Well, let's go to Robbie. We haven't had Robbie for ages. Robbie Bronneman, who's in a new studio. So is that a new colour yeah. scheme? Was the other one a bit redder or am I imagining things? Yeah, it's all new. Everything's new here. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I'm in a new place in Bristol now, I'm living in Bristol, so. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, is this robot? Is it still a robot studio? Are you still kind of keeping that moniker? Is it Robot Mark Two or what are you? I don't know. I don't know. I, th I think. I think my. I think my obsession with Tron's taken over. So I'm not sure yet. Um, yeah. Ah. Okay. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I haven't dubbed it yet. So perhaps suggestions on a postcard or whatever they used to say. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a good idea. And yeah. uh, Robbie, of course. Yeah. Uh, 
you've been on on the road a fair bit as well with uh, Howard Jones and uh, also been working on various albums in the studio. Soundtrack yeah. work as well. Are you still doing that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Just we're just talking about a new project now, and I've been backwards and forwards to LA with some projects as well. So um, yeah, so lots of things going on at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, we missed you because I know uh, Gaz came over to LA uh, with us or was with us at one point. But I think when you came to Nam, I, I, I just wasn't able to hook up. So this yeah, is our kind of week. yeah belated hello. Anyway, Robbie, yeah. lovely to have hello. you. So um, let's get on to some topics. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, this is interesting. No video because uh, there just isn't. But this is the brand new. Uh, Nectar Pacer, which is uh, on the face of it, oh, it's a foot controller, but actually, um, this is quite a different foot controller. It's got uh, 10 programmable foot controls, uh, four switch, uh, four switching relays, which means you can put it into sort of to, to switch channels on amps, so it'll work actually almost like the foot switch, and that's also programmable. Uh, four foot switches as well, and two expression pedals. Um, mm. It does. There was some talk as to whether those backlit pedals were programmable. That I think the light, the color of the light is programmable, but the characters is not. But for 199 quid, that's probably asking a bit much. But that's a lot of connectivity, and and it also works as we know. Uh, Nectar Technologies do quite a lot of integrated uh, DW control and control things. So I, I think all of that stuff is integrated. I don't know how. I guess Robbie, you'd probably be a good person to start because I mean you play live quite a lot. Um, I, I'm guessing, you know, do you use foot switches? I mean, is a foot switch something that you feel you would have the need for, for in, in that situation? Oh, no, I've, not, I've not used them much before. I've used, I've used expression pedal and occasionally have used it. I know that I'm, I'm wondering whether Gaz with his new electron yeah. rig is going to be seething when he sees this because he just bought like a quite an old Roland thing to replace whatever he had. I don't know whether this might have been better, but, you know. Those um, very words yeah. did leave his lips because he was here last uh, week knew, uh, filming and, and he said, oh, I've uh, just bought... Yeah, he bought the FS300, which I think has got hmm. a couple of a couple of expression pedals built in, yeah. I think. And I don't know how yeah. programmable it is com by comparison because I've not used one of those, but it looks... But there, aren't, there, aren't, there aren't that many of these type of products for feet on the market, are there? I mean, I know that the Macmillan people make like a small programmable foot switch thing yeah but it's, it's quite small it's much smaller and fiddlier than that by the look of it it's more mouse foot size yeah yeah, that one, yeah exactly. i would say but yeah still yeah. very very powerful i mean obviously the keith mcmillan has got pressure and rocking and all yeah. sorts of stuff that i can't remember what it's called now the uh, i've got one somewhere but i can't remember the name of it we think we reviewed it and it is actually it's so very small powerful. you can't find it uh, so well, that, you've lost it in a drawer you could leave it behind <laughs> yeah it falls down the back of the sofa perhaps but very useful yeah. um uh, Yoad, I don't know whether or not foot switches come into your your world at all, but I guess being a guitarist, you're useful to you're used to controlling things with your feet, and you have a sort of central MIDI controller. Is a is a is a central MIDI controller plus footboard useful to you? Well, I do use expression pedal. I think that that's the most kind of useful thing for me. I'm just uh, as as you know, you were talking there. I was just thinking, what if? Because for me, the one thing that is the most useful is the computer keyboard. It has the most kind of, you know, buttons and um, yeah. and with modifiers and all that. So I was wondering what would happen if you could use modifiers with your feet, like uh, command and shift and command shift and all that. Could that be something oh, wow. of I've, interest? I, you I, know, don't, to, to I don't know. Kind yeah. of studio work. Maybe. Well, I know that the the Nectar stuff, if you've got like one of the P1 or the P3, 
uh, there are keyboard emulation modes where you can set like a string of key commands that a, a button press or or something will will generate. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if the control center for programming this might have uh, key key command emulations at the very least. It's not quite what you were saying, but it, it sort of goes some way towards it. Because yeah, because something like you know controlling the transport, controlling um, like. I don't know, pressing save while you're playing, things like that. I, I'm wondering whether that's something you can get used to it and can become really useful. Um, you know, I don't tour much uh, these days, so it's mainly studio work. And with all the controllers, and, and uh, we talked about controllers actually last time I was in, and, uh, and I asked folks to to tell me whether there was something that could um that i can use as as a knob for 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 um controlling plugins and actually there was a lot of response on that and a lot of people directed me um to knob control it's nob and that's a really interesting uh, controller and i actually bought it and and what it does is once you hover um above uh, a plugin knob you can just turn the knob and it just uh, and it will you know control it and it's quite quite interesting as i predicted there's a problem in touch mode uh in automation touch mode um so so if you don't if you stop moving it for for you know a, 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 even a tiny bit then it will jump back to the previous so value, it, yeah. It's not really useful, yeah, because it's not a continuous control as such. It's more like arrows, but um, but it's really, really handful. So I have it on my left, and I just uh, use the mouse to hover over plug-in knobs, and then I can turn it, and it's a really good quality knob. It's it's really nice, so thanks for everyone who... Yeah, well, I did uh, like the look of it. Some, some people thought it might be a joke because it sort of looks like so lovingly created, but actually you can set up loads of different it's, it's, um, mappings and stuff, can't you? It's quite powerful, I believe. Um, um, yeah, not sure about that, but for me it's just... Um, it, it. I mean, there's one interesting feature, which is when you double-click the knob, because the knob is touch-sensitive, touch so when you double-click the knob, you undo your your last movement of the knob which ah, is interesting. quite interesting as well so it has its own undo system it's quite pricey it's 199 euros yeah. i think well that but, hardwood I mean, and that hardwood and brass a, oh, is, doesn't come cheap does it oh, oh yeah but i mean for me it's it's a it's a because i like i said before you know the the problem i have with with conf controllers is that i end up looking at the controller looking at the screen, looking at the controller, but with something like that, which only has one knob, and yeah. then in conjunction with your, the mouse cursor, you don't have to actually look at it. And that's, right. for me, okay. quite, a, quite a workflow enhancer. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm glad you found something useful out of that. That's great. Steve, um, you do perform live from time to time. Um, foot controllers a thing for you? I mean, or just even in the studio, just being able to kind of control the DAW um, when you're when you have your back to the computer and you're playing some of those lovely machines behind you any you <laughs> um well actually I use um, an iPad for that these right. days which is kind of useful um I don't think I'd use this for uh studio control but definitely for live um when I sort of started out with music, I was using a whole load of guitar effects pedals, um, making uh, this kind of music you can see right here in my T-shirt. Here we go, shoegazer. 
So this isn't um, like something that's particularly uh, new to me, as in like using uh, Pedals Live. But I know pretty much every time I come on this show that I get really enthusiastic about each new piece of equipment, but I really do think this could be amazing for a few different reasons. First of all, um, the price seems extraordinary. It's what, uh, £199, including Yeah, £199. Yeah, so I mean, so that's affordable, let's put it like that. And for me, if this can be uh, tightly integrated with Ableton Live, I think this opens up a, a whole world of uh, performance um, possibilities. So what, I'm, what I've got in mind is you've got an expression pedal there that's just connected via USB, no power supply problems like I had in Spain. Um, but now you could be playing away on the push two-handedly whilst changing, let's say, a filter cutoff or whatever it is that you want uh, with your foot, and it's just seamlessly integrated. Then if you want to change the instrument, you don't have to you know, press a whole load of buttons to change the instrument and then continue. You can do it with your foot and go somewhere else. Or maybe you can shift up and down scenes uh, with, a, with a foot control. The possibilities there seem... Well, I don't know, endless, I suppose. Yeah, I think um, I, 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 I would. The only thing I would say is that traditionally the Nectar stuff, Ableton Live is one of the things they haven't tightly integrated in. So you could map those things, but I don't think it would be mapped in that kind of uh, control unit way where so each each track, yeah. the, the button does the same feature for, for the selected track, for instance. I'm not sure no, it does I that. No, I, under, I understand what you mean, and but I think that e even if it's not setting itself up automatically as you describe, this is something that takes, you know, half an hour maybe, and then you've got your template um, project or you know setup in Ableton, and you can use it from there. I just think anything that enables me to do more stuff more musical stuff with my hands, if you know what I mean, yeah. without having to interrupt to change tracks or whatever, which you could do with your feet. I think that would be a really uh, good thing. Um, yeah, so I, I, th I, th I think you're right. I think the foot switch thing, I mean, when you see people who use them very effectively, I, you know, you often do, don't you? You see a gig and there's a keyboard player going, oh, yeah, I should do that. And then it sort of goes to the bottom of the list. You never get round to it, but something like this could work. I mean, I think uh, for me, where I could see this using is perhaps for switching shots. I mean, at the moment, I have to look down to the iPad, but so I don't know whether I'd be able to... Mem I wouldn't be like me playing uh, organ foot pedals where I, I, I've got sort of muscle memory, so I know that I'm going to hit that shot or that shot. It'll probably just be kind of that instead. You know, <laughs> I get it the wrong way yeah. around. <laughs> but um, it does look very powerful from that point of view. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we'll. I don't know if we're going to see them at uh, Music Mesa or which is actually next week. Can you believe? Or uh, Super Booth? I don't know whether they're going to be attending those shows, but we'll check it out. Uh, just another quick look at that. But yeah, the price seems good. I, mean, I think everybody was excited that those were AMOLEDs and you could just change the the labels, which would have been even more awesome. But very unlikely at two hundred quid, I think. So yeah. Anyway, that's probably that. Um, Okay, uh, ah, yeah, did anyone see that the get a chance to check this out? This was a documentary by New Yorker. There was, there was hesitancy and sort of a mistrust in hearing your voice that's not your own, sort of alienated from your body, which is all the better for, uh, for music. Essentially, it's, uh, it's a documentary on the history of the vocoder. And it's, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Uh, I mean, obviously, you've got the usual suspects. You've got various people involved. There's some really interesting people talking about it. Um, but the where it came from, the kind of technology, uh, I think it's Bell Laboratories, where it was the vocoder was originally designed 
to be an encryption system for military communication. So you'd have a carrier, which would be the, 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 the code, and it was some kind of thermal noise that was played in, and then you play it out the same disc, you know, hundreds of miles away, and that's what you get. And it was, I just thought it was really interesting. I know uh, vocoders, you know, come and go in terms of uh, popularity, but I did not know anything about this. I don't know whether, Yoad, I mean, I know you're uh, uh, quite quite up on uh, sort of the history of technology. I don't know whether that, that was anything you knew. I just thought, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, well, I, I know that... Um that clip um, for, for quite some time. I mean, I, you know, I developed uh, a, a vocoder uh, about 12 years ago, the Waves uh, Morph, Morphoder, uh, which is an FFT vocoder. There are several ways of making um, a vocoder. It's, it's actually funny that the first one was actually a digital one, although, you know, a very primitive um, one, but the the Roland, the classic Roland and Korg ones are actually based on uh, 16-band um, filter bank. Some some of them, the older ones, are even eight eight band. So basically, it's like if you imagine um, an analyzer with eight bands or 16 bands, that's what you have. So it's basically a filter bank, and then you run your carrier through it and the modulator actually gives you the the formant uh characteristics and it changes on the analog one it changes quite rapidly but the resolution is really low fft vocoders work on fft so you have a um 4096 4, bands like in the more folder some of them use 2000 uh, um, and so on but basically it's basically splits the frequency range into 4,000 bins. Each one um, responds to the, the modulator signal going right. through it. So you get better articulation. So, so right? it, articulation and dynamics. So so that's the different. There, there are several ways of implementing of the coder. The most classic one, whether it's a filter bank or FFT, also recreates the dynamic because each one of the bands of the bins really has a dynamic range as well so you you create the am as well as as the fm there are several other methods digital ones that in which you can reproduce only the 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 form and shift without the amplitude shift and things like that but yeah it's definitely a a very interesting uh, technology and and it's quite old one an old one which is uh you know, it's very impressive to, to to see something like that that that's been developed in the 30s and and things like that. That's that's quite remarkable. Yeah, I mean the uh, that they were showing that the, the the encoding and the decoding and they were like sort of massive. 25 square meter computer yeah. electronic <laughs> systems which as we've seen in many of these cases is all the, is often the case isn't it robbie are you uh, using vocode as much in your life these days um I, i've used them quite a few times over the years you know you, you always you always been in the studio and someone will go oh have you got a vocoder which actually you can understand what somebody's saying once it's been through it they seem to be like a holy grail for ages because you know you get the kind of sparky's magic piano kind of that soft kind of choral thing um but uh, yeah, no, I, I love them. I, I've used them with all sorts of things. You know, I, there's all sorts of really interesting sort of bastardizations of those sort of things now. There's the infected mushroom. We've got that plug-in, which does kind of lots of that kind of stuff. And um, 
yeah, I've used them with Howard, and I've used them with various other artists. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they're fun, but they all—they always seem to have a bit of a stylized place in music, don't they? Yeah, well, I, I remember using them um, in remixing where we would put uh, drum drum loops drum loops as the yeah. modulator, and then you know a bunch of chords as the as the carrier, and then you could you end up with sort of really interesting rhythmically shifting kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be voices. You can put you can modulate one yeah. thing with another. You know, there's all sorts of ways. It's just whether you got the patience to set it up. Because I mean, the the old school mo uh, ones took they were quite finickety to get it just so. You know, so I mean, I guess in software you've got a lot more kind of uh, granularity. There's a couple of them on there that. There's a couple of them that are like legendary that are like go for like twenty thousand pounds, don't they? There's like a couple that are like only a handful of them were made. Can't remember what it is. You occasionally see them come up on like eBay oh, uh, like what's the silly Sen money? Sennheisers and yeah, stuff like yeah. There's there's one. Yeah, they're ridiculous money, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about the uh, about that. I, I had a um, a v an East VC EMS one and I can't EMS one wow. I can't remember what it was I didn't have it it was it was actually Will Gregory's and it was this massive kind of, it was like a big project box it looked like something out that you find in a you know in a in, in a, a kind of university science laboratory that was some bloke made to you know do something specific but it was actually it, it, it actually you know you could I've, once you tweaked it get it to just about sound good <laughs> I always I always thought it was funny that when do you remember when you know, when Cher did that track, the Believe track, and the producers tried to tell everyone it was some sort of vocoder pedal that had done it. And there was all the, I just have visions of all these people all over the world getting really frustrated going out buying this vocoder pedal, <laughs> trying to make it sound like auto-tune. Until they it never worked. Spilled the beans on it, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, Steve, yeah. did you, uh, did you get, have you had a chance to see this? I mean, and, and how do you feel about vocoders generally? Uh, no, I love vocoders. Um, some of my uh, favourite records really feature them. I'm thinking of, um, are you guys aware of Hide and Seek by Image and Heat? Yeah, uh, well, that is the, oh. uh, to my, my mind, that's the definitive. Was that a, was that a Roland? Well, it's, a hard, was, it's a Digitech. It's a Digitech. Oh, is it? Oh, really? Digitech vocalist. Digitech oh. vocalist, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it sounds it sounds amazing on that. I was just thinking, actually, when I was watching this um documentary that so much of the effectiveness of a vocoder comes down to a psychological uh, process known as pareidolia. Have you guys come Ooh, across this? No, I do tell more. Well, um, pareidolia, um, it's our brains do this all day um, and it's finding a recognisable pattern in what essentially is noise, as in something that doesn't that, that you don't instantly recognise. So a, a really good example of this is that in most human cultures, if you look up to the moon on a full moon, you see a face, right? But there's no face on the moon. Your brain just feels in the rest. And, and that's part of what makes, um, it's only part of it, but it's part of what makes a vocoder intelligible. It's your brain sort of expecting certain meaning to come from certain sounds. And uh, then your brain fills in the um, the, the rest so that, that the uh, vocoder becomes intelligible. And th that then took me on to something else, which I think is fascinating. On the YouTube, and I, and I was intending to uh, pull up a clip of this, but I unfortunately didn't have time. There's a whole load of videos of people who've used the process called um, converting audio to MIDI. Now, this isn't, this isn't like you have on Ableton where you will change... Um, 
like a, a recording of a guitar and change it into individual notes. It takes the, the entire sound and converts the entire sound into MIDI notes. So that might sound a bit strange, but how I'm describing it's like black, it. It's like black MIDI, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, precisely that. And there's a fascinating example of this uh, where somebody has converted the Bee Gees the Staying piano. Alive. That's the one. Onto, into piano. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And it's incredible because there's no... There's no words in it. It's just piano playing, but you can hear the words. If you're familiar with the song, that's Paradolia again. It's filling in the blanks. And mm-hmm. I tried this out on a, on a room full of musicians a little while ago, playing them this and asking them, you know, what they can hear. And they could all hear the words to Staying Alive played on just the piano, except for one person who had never heard Staying Alive by the Bee Gees before. I don't <laughs> quite know how that works, what? but he hadn't. Yeah. That was Rich Hilton, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but um, he didn't have a reference to hear the lyrics, um, but everybody else did. It's a fascinating Jesus. thing. Yeah, I think I think, I think think we showed that documentary. We, we, we did talk about this. It does ring a bell yeah. now. Um, and how you can hear... So, actually, that, that reference was not fair to Rich, because it's just that Rich had never watched Blade Runner, and there was another movie that he hadn't seen, and it's, we, he was joshing with him. Uh, it might have oh, been... Um, yeah, I can't remember which one it was. I think he has oh. now, but uh, that was just... That was, that was a bit... Shame much, on him. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Talking about uh, pattern, yeah. pattern recognition, um, I saw a documentary about the the U.S. Army using uh, probing into people's um, heads, basically, uh, looking for electromagnetic activity when showed pictures or images taken of satellites of of basically just desert and they run the pictures very very quickly and the brain can detect a pattern that looks like a square or something like that even if the person is not aware that his brain is detecting this pattern but the the electromagnetic activity beeps there and then they stop and they zoom in so so it enables people to scan like hundreds of hundreds of miles of, of satellite images very very quickly and they're not even aware that their brains detect the, these patterns My God. and then that's that's, that's got to be yeah. yeah that's i mean that's got to be well I, that's probably not much worse than some of the programs i'm forced to watch that my daughter wants to watch on tv i suppose it could have been, <laughs> could be <worse. laughs> ah right well i think this point is probably time to uh, just introduce a little message from our friends at isotope this week, uh, we're looking at Neutron 2. Of course, Neutron 2 is part of uh, the Ozone Suite as well, or not part of it, but it also links in with it. But Neutron 2 is a mastering uh, multiband dynamic EQ. Uh, there are so many different processing aspects to this, and it really is uh, soft, yeah, compression, multiband compression, like I say, dynamic EQ, uh, mix visualization, lots and lots of ways in which to help work on your mix. And it really is um, vintage and modern modes for all of these. And the new interface is actually great. As I said earlier, the, the, uh, this show is put through the uh, Neutron 2. It's processed for sort of that radio sound you're hearing is just run through this. Gating, just a kind of a whole suite. It's almost like the sort of super channels multiband transient shaper there are so many things that you could do to process the sound and get kind of a lot more out of it and again visually uh, the representation visually the, the the audio they're working on including the ability to mix and match between two uh, tracks just so you can a b between them it's very similar to what ozone does but it's very specific more for the channel and master bus stuff 
Anyway, if you want to get hold of Neutron 2, you all you have to do is head to isotope.com forward slash Neutron and you'll be able to download a working demo of that. And we have, in fact, got a competition this week. Uh, I know it's been a while since our last competition because we missed a lot week last week, uh, but we are um, asking you to tweet the hashtag Clearer Mixes and the hashtag Neutron2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So if you tweet the hashtag Clearer Mixes as one word and the hashtag Neutron2 as one word to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc., then you'll be entered for the competition. And we actually have a winner from last w- the last competition we ran, which was actually for Ozone 8. And the uh, winner is called... Uh, ah, I didn't write them down. That's probably not so good then, is it? Uh, I'll, I'll announce that later. I'll put it in the show notes. I do beg your pardon. I, I did prepare for this earlier because I wasn't sure what time I was going to get to the show, and that's one thing I forgot to do. Oh, well, there we go. But anyway, thanks to Isotope for the continued sponsorship of the show. Don't forget to enter the competition. We're just looking for clearer mixes and Neutron 2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Oops. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, this was something. Uh, Gaz came over last week and uh, we filmed a review of the Ventress Dual Reverb, which uh, I thoroughly recommend. Just me basically playing a uh, mini-log through it and him messing around with the sound. And some of the sounds just came up with incredible. Dual DSP, dual reverb engine. Very interesting stuff. But we were talking about um, what we do, you know, what because ha- he was repurposing a Mac Mini to do something with his new uh, live rig that he's working on. And we have a similar thing because we've just, I've just like basically stripped out a whole bunch of computers from here because since we've got this new computer that handles the video. So I've got stripped out four Mac Minis and an old Dell Quad uh, Core uh I forget what make it is, PC, uh, what kind of PC. And so, I'm, you know, we all have to upgrade, uh, upgrade our CPUs every once in a while. And I wondered, what do people do with their machines? Do they kind of, they have a, 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 a does it go somewhere else? And then the one that falls out the bottom goes to the, you know, the grandson or whatever, or the daughter. Um, mm. Steve, I mean, you know, I don't know how often you, I mean, I'm, I'm working laptop and, you know, we haven't upgraded our main PCs here for years, but my laptop, I probably upgrade every two to three years. And it usually ends up getting, you know, turned into a B machine or coming with you. What do you do with your yeah. um, previous stuff? Do you kind of try and well, use it? Uh, yeah, uh, basically. I mean, I've, um, I was thinking about this before I came on, and I, I realized that my house is full of old uh, Macs being put to good use. So outside of the music world, I've got an old um, MacBook Pro, the, the last of the 17-inch uh, versions. I don't know if you remember that from like six years ago. Mm-hmm. That's my television. It works really well, um, you know, because you can get iPlayer and Netflix and all that, and that, that's fine. But on a more uh, musical side, um, I do tend to hang on to these machines because you t- you sometimes find that software that was um, uh, supported, let's say, 10 years ago, um, would be compatible up to uh, Snow Leopard on the Mac or whatever it was. Yeah. And I don't want to lose that synthesizer or whatever it was. Um, so hang on to the laptop. In the past, what I've sometimes done is take a, a disk image of the operating system, keep that, sell the laptop, knowing that if I ever need it again, I could pick up that laptop from eBay, probably at a quarter of the price of which I sold it for and then run the software again. So that's kind of useful. But one thing I I did want to mention on this is not so much with um, computers, but with uh, phones and stuff, I found that um, hanging on to old iPhones and also old iPads has been absolutely brilliant in the sense that I can use, for example, this as a remote for Logic um, whilst I'm playing on these keyboards behind me, as we mentioned before. But also, these um, older iPads are brilliant for um, 
uh, iOS synthesizers. So, for example, um, at the moment, I'm using this tiny um, Mac, sorry, iPad Mini, to run uh, Citronic, Citronic from IK Media, I think they're called. I don't Multimedia, know if you IK Multimedia, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and it works perfectly on these older iPads. So now I've got a what essentially sounds like a, a complete analog keyboard suite that runs on a piece of software that you could pick up on eBay for 100 quid, probably cheaper quite frankly. So they're yeah. very, very useful like that. Um, yeah. And I was wondering actually for a while whether the um, digital to analog converters would be up to the job uh, on these older iPads. And they definitely are. If you've got a good sounding uh, synthesizer or sample library that runs on iOS, they'll sound brilliant on these. So that's what I do. So use them as like sound modules. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely that. Interesting idea. That's a good one. Um, Yoad, I imagine, you know, you probably get, because, you know, if you're developing software, you probably need cutting edge machines more often. You know, you're, you're, you're pushing the boundaries yeah. in your studio. I know you work uh, um, in the sort of Hackintosh world, so you know, that's less of an issue because you can upgrade the kind of core, as well. the core dish as well. Yes, yeah. I should put a point out. I mean, what do you do? What, what's, the, what's the kind of uh, shedding process of the old hardware? So like, like Steve says, uh, I still have, um, should be, in running old uh, condition uh, G3 with Pro Tools 5 and Logic 4 or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I have the, the hardware interface and everything. So should I need to run that old, you know, projects, I should be able, to, in theory, to run them. I have another G4 with Pro Tools 6, I think, and, and Logic 7, which is the uh, Rosetta Stone, because from Logic 7, I think you'll be able to read... Um, so if you if, basically Logic Seven would be able to read any old Logic um, version, and then you save it as, and then you can then even you can open it today. Ah, you okay. should be able to. Yeah. So things like that. So I keep mm. I keep some of those. I have I don't know how many MacBooks um, at home, probably like six or seven. Some of them lying about. Some of them, you know, with my daughter. Some of them are used to like an entertainment system. For, for 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 playing stuff and and things i think we should all be basically donating our old computers and phones because there are people who who need them but I, unfortunately i don't practice that in reality um, i want to to do it but they are useful i mean i, I do use the the ipad with the uh, animoog which is great uh, I have a really old iPad, and I and it still works, like Steve said. And and the converters are fine. It's and I actually wanted to embed one in my in my Neve desk as a as a controller for um, Omnisphere and and things like that. I mean, yeah, they can be they can be useful. I mean, they're still very powerful machines, and they can do so much. Um, but I yeah, you know, I think that I I, I would like to. Maybe I should just donate a couple. Just have a cull, have a cull, and take them down the down the wherever. Yeah, that's probably yeah, a good idea. Yeah, I use I use most of them, but there are a good few that I that I don't use. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good sentiment, Robbie. I mean, because I, I I don't yeah. know where you are. When was the last time you upgraded your full um, your full kind of well, compositional got, production system? Well, I've still got the twenty four core trash can Mac Pro. You know, the little one which I bought, which I got. You know, as soon as it came out which was like fully loaded with like 128 gig of RAM and 
you know, all everything. My policy is always to try and get the, the most powerful computer possible at the time I need a new computer. And then hopefully, you know, I've had that for over four years now and I've done all my work with that. So you kind of, when you look at the initial cost of something like that, if it enables you to do all your work for like three or four years, it's a pretty good return. Um, so I'm still using that because there's nothing I want. I don't want a new iMac Pro because I don't want to have the screen as part of it because, you know, I can't take it around and I want my big wide screens. So I'm probably waiting just to replace it for the new Mac Pro if it comes. But my, I normally keep, I, I like to have a re, the most powerful desktop and the most powerful laptop. So I've currently got the latest only six-month-old MacBook Pro, which I have 15-inch, which I take when I go to L.A., with my SSDs and a few other bits and bobs, so um, I don't really have a I don't really have a sort of a throughput of lots and lots of computers, but so so every four years or whatever, I will probably upgrade both at the same time, and maybe like like Yoad said, my daughter inherits a, an iPad or a or a MacBook Air or something like that, but um yeah I mean it's I know some people they buy computers and they. You know, they, they buy something a little bit sort of medium level and then they go, oh, God, I wish I'd got something a bit more powerful because I can't put anything in it myself now. So kind of my policy is always just to try and... Well, that yeah, that's the that, 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 yeah. that's that's the Mac thing, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I guess if you if you go down yeah. the PC, yeah, you've got a bit more flexibility. Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. that, I mean, because what tends to happen, you know... The, the the power that you need for doing... We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The power you need for, for processing audio is actually, you know... There's there's generations of, of machines that will still do plenty, but yeah. bizarrely, the power that your daughter or your kid needs to run the latest games and the video stuff and all that it requires yeah. more than what you need to work yeah. professionally. Which yeah. is so so actually, you know, them getting the hand me down is in some cases sort of not so great because they end up with a kind of bit of a clunker in their terms. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a strange world yeah. that isn't it the way that works. Can I just add something to that, Nick? Um, yeah. I, uh, I did a, a gig uh, about a month ago, and there was a keyboard player in this band, and I was looking at his setup. I was absolutely intrigued. What he was using uh, was a Mac Mini on stage with his controller keyboard. This was like a dance band or something. Um, but he was using an, an iPad as a screen, as a monitor for the Mac Mini. Um, I, there's a software that lets yeah, you get... Uh, uh, pl- oh, yeah, air screen mm, or something, I think. Something like that. But it was amazing. So he had an entire Mac's worth of uh, amazing sample libraries, but he didn't have a, a laptop on stage. That's not what he wanted. So it just looked like a regular keyboard to the audience, but there he was with a, a computer that was running um, these amazing libraries using MainStage, I think it was. So that was yeah. something I thought was kind of inspirational. And just the other thing uh, that you were saying about, you know, kids with their uh, computer uh, games, you know, needing latest machines. Um, at our company, we have regularly, we not scrap, but we have to get rid of older Macs. And what I've discovered recently is that up until about, I don't know, five years ago, um, there were uh, schemes that you could donate uh, computers to schools. But... That doesn't seem to be running, or at least they're not interested now in Macs that are five years old because, first of all, it doesn't fit with their security systems in schools, but also they're running such um, intensive uh, applications in education now that these computers just can't run it. So a bit of a shame, really. I've got six iMacs just sitting in a cupboard if anyone wants them. Wow, okay. I'm sure sure somebody will. Yeah. Do you remember what was the little Mac, the original? Mac Classic, is it? Oh yeah, screen, 
you know, you, there's mm -hmm. a company in America who'll turn those into fish tanks. <laughs> right. I like the idea of that. That's small kind of, fish. There you go. That's a good, there's a good use of recycling your computer. But there's another thing. I mean, I've got four <laughs> Mac minis here, but they're core duos. They're 2.4 gigahertz. They're not very... I mean, they were running Skype. This is the show used to run off three of them. So I'd have three people coming in. And the other one was running as a, as a kind of database server. And, you know, but now... Because we've upgraded, what I've done is I've turned the old uh, eight-core Mac into it's our code repository, it's a database server, it's a development machine. It'll do, it'll render the videos out that you know I, I spit them out of our, this this big machine. It goes onto a, a drive and it'll just automatically upload 720 versions to to our FTP server. You know, it does all of that stuff, and I know that that's going to last for ages and ages. I mean, that's a 2009. Um, eight core Mac, so it's old, you know, but it's still way more powerful. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know what I would, do, what to do with those Mac Minis. I mean, I'm not sure what, well, what purpose they, because they won't run the latest OS because they're called two duos. So I don't know what. I suppose I could run them in virtual mode. I don't know, but I don't know what I could actually do with them. Uh, I, Nick, what you could do is you could turn them into Linux machines and run them as ancillary servers. Yeah, I suppose I could. Not sure what I do with them, to be honest, because um, you know, I, I could do all of that stuff. On, but yeah, I suppose that's a possibility. That's what I used to kind of do. But uh, I, in fact, I used to use one. One would was running for a long time. It ran a virtual machine on a very old version of Parallels Desktop. It ran a Linux server on it that did do just that. But it sort of feels yeah. a bit, a bit unnecessary. But yeah. Anyway, I just thought I wanted to throw that one in. Okay, well, we just had April Fools, didn't we? So, um, did anyone see a good one? I saw this one. I thought this was great. A narrator so compelling arises that you want to immortalise them, and that's exactly what we did. At Truth Tellers, we work with filmmakers, helping them design and record voiceover narration for their projects. When we ask them who inspires them the most, it's always the same name that crops up: the tone of voice, the accent the manner of speaking, the dose of dramatism. You hear it, and straight away you go, yup, that's Werner Herzog. We thought that all filmmakers, regardless of status, should have the opportunity to work with Herzog. After months spent analysing... So basically, they uh, the 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 the, uh, the, gif, the gist of it is they created uh, a plugin that called, uh, which is actually brilliant, called the Vernacular... <laughs> Which is a knob that takes any voiceover and turns it into a Werner Herzog-style voiceover. And this was an April Fool. But it was very, very stylishly done. And most people can't be bothered with that sort of level of, uh, of, uh, of um, you know, project. But uh, these are the truth tellers. I think that they do. They, they work in voiceover. And I'm not quite sure exactly what they do. But they seem to their videos seem to be mostly dedicated to... to, um, to uh, to kind of the, the the philosophy and the way that you might approach voiceover, and that was my favourite one. I wondered uh, if anybody else saw a good one. Robbie, did you see any good ones that that uh, floated your boat? They're all fairly obvious I these did, days, I, aren't? I didn't because I didn't even realise it was April Fool till the day after. I was so caught up with what I was doing. It, it was on Easter Sunday, wasn't it? So it was a bit. Yeah, I just didn't. I didn't clock at all. I was like, oh, that's been and gone. So no, no. But that did make me laugh. That one because it was in. Like you say, it was impeccably done. It's got that lovely sort of shimmery piano sort of in the background, giving it the kind of weight that it doesn't deserve. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very nicely done. I don't know if I, um, there, there were a few. I, I didn't really kind of clock them because they they're all very obvious, aren't they? I mean, that's the thing now. You sort of expect them to come and then 
So you go, oh, that's got to be an April Fool. And what what somebody should do is release a product that isn't an April Fool, but seems like an April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, there was one uh, that I saw that completely got me. There's um, there's a music industry commentator called Bob Lefset. So I don't know if you've heard of this guy, um, but I'd recommend him to all of you. He's um, he used to be a, a, a lawyer, and he spent a long time now just basically uh, putting out sort of blog posts, but he only does them as email. And it's analyzing what's – that's the guy. It's yep. um, analyzing what's going on in the music industry. And he's usually spot on. I just find myself agreeing with him, which is, uh, you know, rather nice. But he put out uh, an email on April Fool's, which I read the, the entirety and thought, this is amazing, this is brilliant, this is exactly what needed to happen until I got to the last line. And it was that Apple had bought Netflix. And he was analyzing it. He was explaining how this was the, the perfect addition to their you know, collection of technologies. And, and it was going to stop them having to make more television programs with Jennifer Aniston. There's only one program <laughs> we ever need to see with Jennifer Aniston in. And, um, and it was brilliant until he got to the very last bit and he said, yeah, and it only cost $100 billion, but Apple can afford that. And I just thought... Nah. Okay. <laughs> and then it turned out no, it wasn't true. Oh, that's interesting. Who's that? Sorry, that's, sorry, that's me. It's my phone. That's my phone in vibrate mode doing some sort. Oh, of it sounded really kind of interesting, <laughs> loopy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you do, um, do, do, do waves ever do them, or is it is it something they don't? Well, I actually, for? I actually toyed with the the idea of um, of uh, circling an email within the the waves kind of. Um, you know, email network uh, congratulating both Waves and Isotope for the merge. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I thought it may be too much, so I so I cowered. You you, you uh, didn't go for last it. moment. Well, well, what a... would you have been called? What would you have been called, Yoad? What would have been the sort of co- combination name? I don't know, just a why, congratulations why, why for the man. Why is a taupe, yeah. Why is a taupe? Oh, yeah. There we go. Exactly. There we go, there we go. Um, I just want to point out in the chat room, uh, who was it? Uh, oh, I missed it. Somebody, uh, oh, where did it go? Uh, I know someone, uh, yeah, that's right. Paul LeBlanc said, I know somebody who fried all of their Eurorack stuff from a bad power socket on April the 1st. That's kind of not funny. Uh. Uh, but I suppose no, it's no. ironic, perhaps more than funny. But yeah, I don't know. It feels like, you know, maybe we're just uh, because everybody feels they has to do them. They used to be much more f- uh, infrequent. And therefore, when they did happen, they were a bit more kind of like, oh, wow, that's a good one. I think we did one with a with a stage pedal that was a pyrotechnic pedal. And we put like this uh, pyrotechnic in it. And uh, and uh, one of the I wasn't here at the time. And um, and, and uh, when he trod on it, it sent up this massive kind of flash pedal, <laughs> flashbang pedal. Which was um, a lot of effort for a, a two-second gag, but that's the way it goes. Okay, right. Uh, the, well, you could have thought that this was an April Fool's. That's brilliant. This is called Le Slide, and and it, 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 you could, th- I suppose, this could have been released on April the first, and you might have think, well, that's ridiculous. But actually, it's quite an interesting product. It's a sort of clip-on pair of extra screens that slide out you connect over USB 2 I believe and it just gives you loads of extra screen real estate and it's platform agnostic so it'll work on pretty much you know Mac PC whatever I mean it's not going to be fast enough to perhaps do like 120 frames a second screening 
streaming, or maybe it will. But it's been hugely successful uh, in its uh, Kickstarter campaign. And you get 13-inch uh, versions, 15-inch versions. I think they're doing a 17 as well. There we go. That's a bit of Mac. And it just seems like mm. that's, that's what a genius idea. Or is it? Is it the sort of thing that you well, go, oh, that's great. But then, you know, you find that you just knock it and it snaps everything. I, I don't know. Rob, no. you sounded quite keen on yeah. that. Yeah. Well, well I, I mean, because when I started taking my Mac Pro around, I needed little screens. And I got these G-Chic, made these tiny little super thin um, 1080p screens. It was basically 13-inch screens. So I had two of those with the Mac Pro running on mini display port. <laughs> and I think I've got I've got a couple of those, um, uh, some Asus ones now with USB-C for my latest MacBook. But um, the only thing is, is certain plug-in manufacturers, plugins don't, they all the graphics go weird when you use three screens with those sort of USB connections. So um, I've kind of got back down to using two. So it's kind of rendered it a bit useless for running um, a door, DAW for me. Using three oh, screens because I can't get, can't get things displaying properly, um, which is a bit weird. So, but yeah, it's a good idea. I love I love that idea because there's never enough real estate. Even if you've got like a 15 inch screen, you know you want to be able to see the mixer, you want to open plugins, and you always end up just shifting windows around the whole time. So, um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And it also because it it, it clicks onto. Let me see if I can find uh, the slide. Uh, I'll find the actual. Uh, yeah, let me see. I'll go to the website. <laughs> Uh, two displays, uh, yeah, where do you do it? Let's slide. So it starts from €349 Euros for 13s, I think, which seems pretty cheap to me. Uh, they're not building them just yet, and there is some, you know, this sort of thing that takes a little while to finish off. I know, um, Yoad, I mean, you travel, I guess, the places you go to, you've sort of got a working setup where you're going, so you perhaps don't need that. But you could imagine if you were on the road a lot, and this could be quite useful, right? Yeah, and the places I go to mostly have power sockets because I wonder, you know, what how long does the battery last with with two extra screens, and how heavy they are, you know, how you know because uh, my my laptop bag is quite heavy as it is, and just imagining uh, four kilos more or whatever it is, it's gonna be quite heavy. Let's have a look. I don't know what it weighs. Um, I'm sure there were some stats here somewhere. Uh, I can't see what the uh, what the there was some details. What's in the box? So micro USB, eight steel pads. You connect it. Uh, hold on, let's have a look. So does it say what the weight is? I think also in the plane, it could be a little bit funny when you kind of pull pull out your laptop and then. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, you don't have to. You can keep them folded. You can keep them folded back. Whoops, that's me. You can keep them folded back and then just kind of slide them out when you need them, or slide one out. I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, Steve. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, no, I, I really like this idea. I was just thinking about what Yo had said about the plane, and I got some funny looks on EasyJet yesterday just getting out my iPad Pro, the 12.9-inch thing. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what's going to happen if I pulled out a couple of those. I should probably well, stop one two, Between on 1.2 and 1.8 kilograms for the extra screens. Well, what's yeah, the, what's the resolution on them? Yeah. Uh, what's the resolution? Uh, let me see. I'm just looking on the website. Uh, 1315, uh, 1920, 10, uh, 1080. That's what what well, I think could be really interesting about this, and I think I mentioned this before, impressive. I think I was on the program when this, this uh, mm. technology was on before, would be if you're um, a musician who has to have a laptop on stage, um, but you're not, not necessarily looking at it uh, to do what you have to do. So, for example, you're running Ableton with a push, right? So you could got all that in front of you. You could 
use the laptop as some sort of feature of what you're doing. And if you've got the multiple screens, you could have one projection on this screen or, or a big widescreen projection that just is something interesting uh, to look at for the audience rather than just watching you press buttons. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, having, mm. I'm having a bit of a deja vu. Haven't we talked about it in... Oh, really? Before. Am, I, <laughs> I'm having, am I having a senior moment? Have we done this already? Oops. I don't remember. Oh, well, maybe I did. I don't... Maybe, uh, it, was, maybe it was a different... No, a it, different I, make I tell, you what, it, I tell like you what it is. No, it's been in the show notes for a while, but I've not got round to, to doing it. That's what I think. Okay. But anyway, I hope so. I'm sure the chat room will tell us. Uh, we'll see. But I, but, I, I do think, though, if it's, you know, £380 for a couple of extra screens again it sounds really quite affordable and i think it could be really you know very useful mm -hmm. yeah um, so, i'm thinking yeah, I, mean, I agree and well, how do they connect to the to the which ports do they connect to it's usb um, uh it's usb basically but then isn't it one of those double from... usb um, one of those double USBs because it's the power requirement. So you usually have like two, like a split cable with two USB sockets. There's one there. I'm oh, not yeah, entirely probably. sure, to be honest. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, you can see it there. You can see it on the picture. It's right, got like okay. sort of a, yeah. a dovetail off it. Yeah. Yeah. But is it, maybe so. is it taking power yeah. from the USB as well? Yeah, it's powered. It's powered um, yeah, via the that's USB. That's why you as have well. the two plugs. Okay. Uh, so my my experience with with the, my experience with USB uh, um, adapters to screen is that they are very sluggish and slow, but maybe this yeah, is like yeah. USB 3.0, super fast or whatever. Well, I think it well, is I, USB 3.0. It looks had, promising. I had the same problem because I bought, I bought some, I tried some, I can't remember the make, about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, some USB 2.0 ones, and they didn't work very well. But I've just got, as I said, these new Asus Zen ones which are 15 inch um, high resolution and they're USB-C. So if, if you've got something with you and they work flawlessly and they, they take their power down the USB-C as well, um, they're great. But, um, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what it was. We, we did a thing called, it was the Razer laptop, which was uh, right. had fold-out screens, which was a, it, the, oh, the, the laptop right. itself was this hugely okay. powerful oh, beast. Yeah, yeah. It was like a desktop power in one thing, whereas this is just an add-on to your existing laptop. And if you've got, I guess if you've got powerful enough, enough VRAM in it, I don't know whether you can access the VRAM over USB, but yeah. I know that price. I mean, when they start coming to market, I'd like to go and have a, have a look at one because it might be something that would be worth... I mean, certainly, say, for instance, if we're at NAM editing, you know, you just have my yeah. machine is really fast and it'll do video editing really quickly. So you can have, you know, uh, CMS on one side, the mm -hmm. video window on another side, FTP windows on another, or the YouTube upload interface. And then, you know, that would be... It would look pretty cool. <laughs> um, actually, but, you're thinking about another another point uh, is you know when I when I have the laptop in my in my bag and I carry it on my back, I'm very much aware of the screen being pushed, you know, against my back all the time, and I wonder how fragile or how stur how sturdy those are because they'll be kind of you know attached to the screen and how thin or how sturdy I, they are basically i think for, for i think that, that what, that, what they are there are basically uh four metal discs i believe that that you uh that you stick on the back and it either magnetically snaps on or there's some kind of locking mechanism so they're held on there and then when they fold together the whole thing as far as i can tell is sort of sandwiched like that so that that three layer sandwich is, is there's not going to be much space in between them, so i shouldn't think there's going to be much flex and it might so there's a lot more there's a so there's a lot more weight on the hinge of the computer then, the actual hinge of the actual screen itself. 
Uh, I suppose if you fold it back far enough, it would be. Yeah. So I mean, that's, so that's in the way of it holding it. You know. Yeah. Maybe anyway. uh, that's possible. Let's have a look. Is there? A, I don't know if there's another. There are any other win? Uh, let me see what we can see there. If there's any sort of. Looks cool though. It does look. Pretty it does cool. look cool. It's like having the Matrix, isn't it, on your in your backpack? Yeah. It makes you feel like you're about to hack into the mainframe, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like the yeah. sound of that. Anyway, that was that. I just sort of wanted to throw that in there because it it been there for ages. Okay. Um. Uh. Oh, it's nearly five o'clock. How's everybody doing for time? We, do anyone want to I do any more? Have you got to go? I mean, it's, we've we've been. We've... I have to actually. I have to actually go for an appointment at. 5:15. So okay. there at 5:15. So all right. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Well, maybe maybe we'll we'll uh, we'll save one of these for later. Who knows what sort of news week we'll have next week? But thank you very much, everybody, for watching. Uh, before we go, I'm quickly just remind you of the isotope competition. Uh, we're looking for the hashtag clearer mixes and the hashtag neutron two to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. If you want to win a copy of Isotope's Neutron Two, which is mixed processing software, and I want to say uh, thank you very much to our guest Steve. Thank you for joining us. Been a pleasure having you as ever, and uh, look forward to having you on again anytime soon see you all later yep thank you very much uh, um also mr yarnevo um we'll see you perhaps uh, back in in london at some point with your other backdrop your studio backdrop thank you for joining us uh, yes. as well my pleasure uh, Robbie, thank you. Uh, your new studio i'll have to come over and visit sometime yeah. i've heard good yeah. things about it now yeah. you're close by and it's um Nice to meet you two as well. Haven't met you both before, so really nice. Oh Cheers, gosh, Robbie. has it been nice that long? Well, actually, All right. actually, I think I have met. I think I have met you, Yoad, because I think you worked on a Sugar Babes track that I wrote with Howard, mixed years. Sorry, ago. come again. I missed that. Did you work with the Sugar Babes? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you mixed I've... a track that I wrote with Howard years ago, um, called Blue. Oh, called that's one of the second album. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway. That's. Oh, there we cool. go. Uh, wow, that was, that was a, yeah, while, yeah. a little while ago, yeah. yeah. Well, folks, thank you very much for watching. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, our live streamers. Thank you to the uh, the chat room and the YouTube chat. It's been a pleasure to have you aboard. We'll see you all next time. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now.